So let's talk, uh, uh, well, here we are. I should have welcomed you first. Welcome to uh, Plodcast episode 55. Good to have you here. Thank you for listening. Let's talk, I was about to say, when I was so rudely interrupted, I was about to say that I wanted to talk about personality testing. Um, and uh, here, here's, the, here's the difficulty. First, a little bit of history. The, um, anybody who has lived among men and women and who has eyes in their head um, knows that there are different kinds of people, that there are different personalities. Uh, you could go with the ancient system of uh, humors where someone is sanguine, uh, cheerful, up and down, um, dominated by blood. Someone is laid back, phlegmatic, uh, dominated by phlegm. Someone is um, uh, uh, choleric, where they're, they're you know, agitated, angry kind of person. Uh, another person is melancholy. Um, and you can you can say, well, here's the four, four basic personality types. And that has a, a long heritage. Uh, sanguines, cheerful, um, phlegmatic, laid back, um, choleric, aggressive, hard charging. You know, I know what, let's do things my way. Um, and melancholic, introspective, moody, and, and so on. Uh, or you could go with my uh, system of personality division, which I think is, I think covers all the bases. And that is to say that you're basically dealing with Pooh, uh, Piglet, um, Tigger, and Eeyore. So if, if you've got those four categories, you can cover the basis. And then you might, you might want to you know, reach out and include Rabbit, let's say, or, or something. But basically, Winnie the Pooh covers, uh, covers all the bases. Well, um, anyway, like I said, anybody with eyes in their head can see that We've got different kinds of people, um, and it, uh, the the impulse that men have to uh, identify patterns and group things according to patterns is a deep instinct, and and I don't object to it, but I think that we have to be uh, I think we have to be careful. We live in a technocratic age, and we think that we um, can reduce things to to uh, numbers. We think we can, we've gotten to the point where we think we can analyze the personality of various kinds of people and we can get it down into the decimal points. And uh, this is standard operating procedure for um, the majority of American corporations and companies. If if you want to be, basically, many corporations will give you a battery of uh, tests, personality tests, uh, calculated to identify your strengths and weaknesses, and and so on. Um, so here's the difficulty. If uh, and th- this problem first occurred to me many years ago uh, as a teacher. If I if I'm teaching a Latin course, let's say, and I give the kids a, a quiz or a test, uh, testing them on their knowledge of 100 Latin vocab words. And let's say a kid uh, turns his paper in, and I grade it, and he missed 13 of the 100 words. He got 87 correct, and he missed 13. Now, it makes perfect analogical sense for me to give him an 87 on that test. Uh, He got 87 right out of 100 possible right. 
So 87 is to 100 as 87 is to 100. So I write an 87 on top of his, on top of his paper. Okay, so everybody sees how that makes some sort of logical sense. But suppose I, I'm teaching an English composition class and I ask the kids to describe a sunset. I ask them to, um, the last glorious sunset that you saw, uh, describe that for me and, and remember everything we've, we've talked about in this class. Now let's say I sit down to grade a kid's description of a sunset and I think about it after I've read it a couple of times, and I write an 87 on the top of that paper. Now, here's my question. What on earth is that 87 supposed to mean? So I'm saying, in effect, 87 is to 100. What this essay was to what? What, what is 100? Is it, is it the description of the sunset that Jesus would have written? <laughs> Is it uh, the description of a sunset that's up in Plato's forms? What, in, in short, um, what on earth am I talking about? If I say, uh, and and here's here's another aspect of this. If I, uh, let's say I wrote an 89 on his paper, and let's say this kid was a diligent kid who wanted to get into a a good law school, um, a, a good college rather, not a law school. Um, uh, so he wants to get into a good good college, and I write 89 on his paper. He's going to um, come up to me afterwards and ask and want to talk to me about getting an extra point. Uh, you know how he wants to argue for a point. He wants to or appeal for a point. If I wrote um, on the top of his paper, this was very good. Nobody would come up to me and say, "This, uh, Mr. Wilson, why didn't you say it was very very good?" Why didn't I get two varies? Well, it's because uh, we know what, you know, we have a real uh, instinctive faith in numbers. And uh, let's say at the end of the semester, uh, a, a kid comes to me because their average averaged out to 89 and they, wanna, they want to get an A minus for the, for the semester, not, not a B plus. And I open the grade book and I show them a string of numbers and say, well, this is how it all came out. I averaged all these and this is what came out the other end. Many people would say, oh, and that would end it. And, but it, it doesn't occur to them to go to the next level and say, but, but every one of those numbers that you averaged is a number that you made up out of your head. And I don't think you made it up out of your head on that Latin exam, that 87 out of 100 Latin exam. But you wrote down 89 there instead of 88, and you wrote 72 there instead of 73. Um, why, why didn't you write 72.7? Well, oftentimes people just look at the row of numbers and say, oh, uh, because we have faith in numbers. Well, that faith in numbers, you might think that I've wandered off the point, but I have not. Uh, that faith in numbers uh, transfers. That faith in numbers, that faith in techniques, uh, uh, metrics, tech, uh, uh, technocratic analysis, transfers to the corporate world. And we think that we can actually measure personality types and say that you are this kind of person down to the nth degree. Now, everybody in the world knows that Eeyore is Eeyore. Everybody in the world knows that Tigger is Tigger. 
everybody knows that this person is always upbeat and always cheerful, and everybody knows that this other person, this puddle glum, is always down. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing with uh, the the things that everyone knows. Just as uh, if I if you hand that uh, 87 um, that that essay describing the sunset around to 10 different teachers, and they all say, eh, not you know mediocre, or that was okay, or that wasn't the best. I think they could do better. Uh, I don't I don't object at all to us evaluating at that level. It's just that when you get uh, this essay on your sunset was 87.8932. Someone, at some point, someone should say, you can't know that. That's not, that's, you're just making numbers up. You're just trying to make yourself look good. And I would submit to you that we have, uh, uh, that our faith in numbers and our faith in a technocratic feel is driving our faith in personality tests. Continuing with podcast 55, um, my book that I want to recommend or the book I want to review for you is um, uh, by Thomas Sowell, one of my favorite economic writers. Um, And this book is called Discrimination and Disparity. Discrimination and Disparity. Now, what Sowell does so wonderfully is when someone... um, points to something in the world and sees a correlation. We all, um, we all know, we should know, if you've, um, if you've had a statistics class or if you've paid any attention, people rush to say uh, correlation is not the same thing as causation. You can have a correlation uh, without the, the two things that are correlated being causal in any way, and that's very, uh, that's very true and it's valuable to know. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things we have to understand or grasp is that uh, correlation does not equal causation is a very easy uh, thing to say unless it's a political hot rock. So uh, if, if there are politics involved, um, uh, if politics and particularly politics of a sexual or a racial nature are involved, it is very difficult to stand up against the pressure to uh, bow to correlation, meaning being the same thing as causation. So, uh, for example, um, there was a case, a Supreme Court case in the 1970s. I think it was Griggs. I I forget the name of the case, but um, a Supreme Court case that made it against the law for uh, companies to use IQ tests in hiring. You can't, uh, you can't use IQ tests in hiring. And the reason you can't use IQ tests is because there are uh, different outcomes of IQ tests for different racial groups. So since there is a disparate uh, spread in the results of the IQ test, then if you use the IQ test, then there's going to be a disparate effect in your, in your hiring practices. And we can't have that. So um, the the assumption is that if you see a correlation and you act on the basis of a correlation, then you are uh, automatically assumed to be maintaining that there's a causal relationship, that this person is not as bright, for example, because they belong to that ethnic group or because they belong to that particular 
um, uh, minority. But there are all kinds of there are all sorts of causal reasons that might have not have anything to do with the genetics, and that is, um, uh, in fact, what I hold. Um, that 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 could mean that someone could see the correlation and act on the basis of the correlation, and not be a bigot at all. Now this brings me back to uh, Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell is an economist and a black man, and he is ruthless. He is just absolutely fearless when it comes to analyzing. Uh, particular uh, economic proposals, and he wants to analyze them for their actual impact. He wants to analyze them to see what they actually do. So, for example, uh, in, in Discrimination and Disparity, the whole, the whole book is on uh, how it is possible for uh, you to have uh, wildly variant outcomes with different groups and not have it be the result of discrimination. So, um, uh, women. So, for example, uh, women are paid less uh, on average than men. So, what ha people do is they take a statistical analysis and say, all the men working uh, in this position and all the women working in this position, and we do a big math problem and we see that the women are paid uh, less. So, the question. Uh, that immediately comes to mind is why wouldn't why wouldn't corporations uh, uh, give preferential hiring to women if they can get the same work um, for a, uh, a smaller outlay? Why why wouldn't that be uh, bad for men? Why 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 wouldn't they uh, be hiring women as a result of this? Well, the actual the, the actual circumstance is different. Men and, men and women want different things. Men and women sacrifice different things. To take a most, uh, uh, an obvious example, uh, women are much more interested in flexible hours. Uh, when, they, when they take a job, they can do the job, but they're much more interested in flexible hours because they, have, they prioritize uh, spending time with their child, let's say, more than, uh, more than a father would. And so th their longevity in the job, their intention to stay there forever, uh, those sorts of decisions which uh, affect training and investment and training and all these sorts of things uh, result in disparate outcomes. And, and Seoul is able to show and, and shows with numerous examples that these disparate outcomes are not the result uh, of discrimination or not necessarily the result of discrimination. Uh, Seoul is very aware of uh, historic discrimination, which was overt and um, out there, and he tackles those. He, he points to those sorts of things. Yeah, th you can say that discrimination caused this gap, but you have no basis for saying uh, that it caused this other one. So, discrimination and disparity. Uh, really good book. So, we continue on with Plodcast 55. Uh, the word hamartano is used once in 1 Timothy when Paul warns that Timothy is not to permit an accusation uh, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who are found to have sinned, and in this case those elders who are, are found to have sinned, need to be rebuked publicly so that the others might fear. This is in 1 Timothy 5.20. So uh, an elder... Uh, Timothy is told, don't accept a charge against an elder unless there are two or three 
witnesses. And it's uh, not appropriate to say, as um, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor just recently said, that because elders are to be above reproach, uh, the threshold of proof is not as high because they've got to be above reproach. Uh, that's not what Paul says in Timothy. Um, in in First Timothy, you you just throw the case out of court. If you, you just don't admit, you don't listen to it. You don't pay any attention to it. And while I'm on this subject, you particularly don't pay any attention to um, anonymous accusations. Anonymous accusations need to be round filed immediately. So, Hamartano, Paul says uh, Timothy is not to permit an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two and three witnesses. And if if an elder is found to have, in fact, sinned, which is known to have happened, um, you are to rebuke them publicly so that the others might um, stand in fear. Hamartia comes up three times in the two letters to Timothy. The first is when Timothy is told to be slow to ordain, which will keep him from being a partaker in other men's sins, 1 Timothy 5.22. And then, two verses later, Paul says that some men's sins have a flashing light on top of them. That's in verse 24. Uh, While other men, for other men, they come creeping in afterwards. All, All sin eventually comes out, just not at the same rate. So some men have a flashing light on top of their sins as they come toward you. You can see them coming. Uh, you you know to get out of the way, and other men drag their sins behind them like it was a wet rope or something like that. So some men's sins go ahead of them, some men's sins come behind, and Paul uses hamartia for, for both. Then in 2 Timothy, Paul gives a warning about false teachers, and he points out that false teaching thrives on guilt. False teaching thrives on guilt. False teaching manipulates guilt. It works guilt. Silly women, he says, laden with guilt, are an easy mark for those who would lead them into the curriculum of always sinning and never getting it. That's in 2 Timothy 3, 6. So um, uh, sinning and the resultant guilt uh, is sort of a, a way that it's a plot of ground that false teachers can farm easily. God in the time of the sickness. God in the You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.